Good evening. This week's parsha is Parsha's Bechukosai, and we conclude Sefer Vayikra, Leviticus, and in unison we stand up at the end of the reading of the Torah and we call Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek out loud to our neighbors and to ourselves that we are going to usher in the new Sefer Bamidbor and begin reading it by Mincha this Shabbos. But meantime, we're in Bechukosai, which most of the years is read together with Bahar, but this year it's not. And I want to share with you um, a Rokeach. The Rokeach was a Rishon, and he lived around 600, 700 years ago. And he says that from the very beginning of our Sedra, Im Bechukosai Telechu, up until the word like 10 Sukkim later, Komemios, the word Komemios, you have every letter of the olive base written except for Samach. There's no letter Samach in all of the words of those first psukim, beginning with the first pasuk in through the word komemios. And he says, why is that? And the answer, he says, is because birchas koyanim has 60 letters. That means if you go from Yivarecha Cho Hashem V'Yishmerecha, Yo'er Hashem Pana Ve'lecha V'chunecha, Yisa Hashem Pana Ve'lecha, V'yosem Lecha Shalom, you will see that there are 60 letters. Says the Rokeach, over here in our Sedra, in Bechukosa, if you listen and do this and do that, Venosati Gishmechem Be'itam, you're going to have lots of bracha. But if you don't do it, Chasushon, it's going to be trouble. And Birchas Koyanim is not conditional on if you do behave or you don't behave, it is not linked to any conditional strings attached to get the flow of birchas koyanim. That when the koyan goes up and gives the bracha, he has to keep in mind, as is the halacha, that he's doing it bi'ahava, and he ends the bracha with the word bi'ahava, which means that if he himself has no parnosa. He is required with the fullest of heart to hope that each and every congregant that he's blessing and giving the bracha to will have tremendous parnosa. If he doesn't have nachas chasushom from his children, he has to be giving the bracha that they should have tremendous nachas from the children. So says the Rokeach that 
everything in this center about all the good is conditional. You keep it and you do the mitzvahs, you're going to get it. You don't, it's going to be very difficult for you. But Birchas Koyanim stands in a realm of tremendous distinction that you do not have to have any precondition to be zoicha to the brachas. Now, I want to take a minute to share with you the fact that there used to be almost universal duchening worldwide every single day. And there was Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid, who was at the time of the Baletoisis, Rashi's grandsons, 950 years ago, who were his best friends, Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid. But the Baletoisis, his friends, said on him that if he wanted, he could go into a cemetery and tell everyone to stand out, just like the Tanoim, who lived 1,500 years before him, that he had such ruchnius, outstanding power that that he was able to tremendous, and from Rabbi Yehuda Chassid, he had many takonas. We know that two brothers don't marry two sisters and live in the same city, or never one of them won't have children if they do live in the same city. Uh, he was the one that says, we do not shech geese in the month of Shabbat. And he was the one that said, when you travel, you don't shine your shoes on the day of travel. And these were all Alpi Kabola. He was very, very saintly and big. Uh, he said that out of Eretz Yisrael, they should stop duchning on regular days. Only on Yomtif by Musaf. And the reason for Yomtev by Musaf was he said he wanted to leave something so that children and people should not grow up and live and never know what Birchas Koyan and Dochening is. So he said, by Musaf on Yomtev you should Dochen. And that's really what we do to this day. The Levush, who was a Talmud Muvik of the Ramah, 400 years ago, 500 years after Rabbi Yehuda HaChosad lived, told his Talmidim about the flow of tremendous bracha and the dimension of what happens when people are being blessed by the Koyanim, Birchas Koyanim, and that the dissemination of the bracha is so far-reaching that Rabbi Yehuda Chosid felt that it was too powerful for Chutzel Oritz, and it was too powerful for even parts in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, they do dochen every.
every day, but not everywhere. There are only certain places, certain cities that they did. Now the Luftwaffe explained, because his Talmudim asked him, why didn't, if they do by Musa, why don't they duchen by Shachris on Yom Tif also? So he said, because people are worried and still thinking about the mundane, even on Yom Tif, and since you have to be encompassed within an atmosphere of Simcha, Therefore, people are worried about Parnasa, and on Yom Tov, they're still thinking about it. So by Shachris, as they're walking to Shul or whatever, they're davening, they're thinking about the Parnasa. So you can't duchen, because it wouldn't be out of Simcha. So then the Talmudim so said, why by Musaf do we duchen? Where's the Simcha there? So he answered and said, because on Yom Tev there is a chiyav of Basar V'yayin, and since Basar V'yayin was a specialty, Yom Tev, Yom Tev, that they're already getting into a better mood by Musaf, it's closer to getting on. So therefore there would be simcha during Musaf. So then they asked him, but Yom Kippur we dochen, and there's no Bosaviyayan. So he said the simcha of the Mechila and the Slicha and the Kapara that Yidin have, that provides the simcha, the frame of mind of simcha. We do know that Svardim were never Makabal, the Rabbi Yehuda Chosid. Uh, not that they didn't hold the Rabbi Yehuda Chosid, they just felt their Rabbanim, their Chachamim, the uh, felt that they began the minig and they wanted to continue the minig. Uh, it's not just a minig, a duchning is a diaraisa, kosovarpo, it's b'nei Yisrael, amor lohem. But they duchen still, there are places out of Israel, even here in Brooklyn, that they duchen indeed each and every day. But it is not the minute of Klal Yisrael Bechlal, the non-Svartim, the people, the Ashkenazim and others, they do not duchen out of Eretz Yisrael, and even in Eretz Yisrael, only certain cities. And it's interesting, not that we ever mix them in, the deviators, the conservative especially because they try in some of their temples or shuls to copy the liturgy, that which the Orthodox daven, they try to do the same davening. I mean, they do it with a microphone, they do it with uh, women involved, but the actual siddur, they try to keep the same. But there's one thing that they stop doing. The conservative. I would almost say Lahavda. Dochani. No conservative shul dochans. They cut it out because they felt that the kedusha that it exudes is so great. And they admitted, you know, we don't keep Shabbos, we write to the shul. It doesn't fit in to be dochani in that atmosphere. I had that discussion with a few of the conservative rabbis, 
And they said, yeah, they always got it from their teachers. Don't touch the duch. Don't. You're pampered with everything else, but don't touch the duch. So then is the realm, says the Rokeach, that duchening is so high, but it is all-inclusive, without any precondition. And that's why the Samach is not mentioned, because the whole Parsha from Im Bechukos, I told Komamias is conditioned. Im Bechukos, if you listen, uh, if not, not. Now, the Medrash tells us, um, I mean, in and Rashi right away conveys and says that that you should really toil in Torah. And there is a story in Medrash about Rav Kahana. Rav Kahana was a Amora. And the mentor says that his wife gave birth to a boy, and he named the son Solik, Samach Lamed Yud Kof, Solik, which is not a conventional name. It's not a name you find in the Torah. It's not a name that you find in Tanaya. You just don't find it. But that was the name the mentor says he gave him. And after five years, uh, Rav Kahana took the boy by his hand and began to walk out of his house. The mentor says exactly that. And his rabbits and his wife called him and said, where are you going? He said, well, he just turned five. I'm taking him to Yeshiva. So she said, no, I don't want him leaving the house. And the Medrash records an unbelievable take a conversation between Rav Kahana and his rabbis. Rav Kahana said, you're not letting him go to Yeshiva, I have to divorce you then. So she answered him and said that, Ki I didn't do anything immoral, that you have grounds to divorce. I mean, they're all, this is the discussion. Look in the Medrash, you'll see it. So, at the end, they made a compromise. And what was the compromise? The compromise was that they'll homeschool him. He'll begin teaching him Torah, and but he'll do it in the house, so the wife did not say goodbye to him. And that's why, from this medrash, people whose parents really risk their lives in Russia and other places, lived through the Holocaust and all of these, and then they allowed their children to leave the house and go to a dormitory of a yeshiva and be there for years, really were most nefesh because they gave, I mean, their lives were on the line throughout their life in those moments of Sakana, and now they, Baruch Hashem, had a family, and to depart with the child, even for the most noble reason, is beautiful. So children should learn how to be appreciative to parents who had their life on the line and had 
or Moiser Nefesh, so much so for survival, to give up their most precious gems to go to Yeshiva. But anyway, what I want to continue is telling you what this Medrash says. So the Medrash says he learned, Rav Kana learned with him for 25 years. And when the boy turned 30, because he was five when he was ready to take him to Yeshiva, um, they stopped and Rav Kahana told him to go out to the marketplace to see how they sell things and just a little bit like what's doing in the world. From that you see that for 25 years the boy didn't know what was going on in the world. He was just learning Torah. So he went out, the mentor says, and he met a man who was selling water. And he was thirsty, so he asked the man for a cup of water. So he said, no problem, but you have to pay me. He said, but I don't have any money on me. He said, but this is my parnasa, so I have to be paid. So um, so the boy said, but I've been learning for 25 years. And I became a very big Talmud Chacham. So he thought that the man out of respect would give him the cup of water, but he refused. And the Medrash says that the boy was so destroyed by this occurrence that he went back to his house and he said to his father, I'm ready to throw everything away. That that's what the world, I gave up 25 years of my life to learn to earn it can't even get me a cup of water. That's what the mentor says. So his father, Rav Ghana, went to a place in the house and took out a ruby. And he said, go to the marketplace. And there's people who sell glass, big pieces of glass, small pieces of take this ruby there and ask them how much they would pay for this. So he went to the glass place, and they said they would give him six ruble. Six. And then, a little bit beyond, as his father told them, there were diamond dealers, gem dealers. Go, then go there and ask them how much they will pay for the ruby. And he went there and they said, one, there's two gearses in the medrash. One opinion is that they said that they would give him 6,000 ruble, and the other place, the other girsa, says that they said they would give him on the spot, right now, 10,000. So he came back home with the ruby, and he told his father, I went to the class, they said 6,000. Here they said, Six, uh, six, and there they said 6,000 or 10,000. So the father said, Rav Ghana said to him, you see, a person has to appreciate what he has in front of him. The people who didn't know, they only knew glass and pieces that could shatter and things like that. They offered him six as if it was like a regular piece of glass. Six rubles. But the Mavinan people who had an appreciation for what it was, 
they offered him the sixth of the 10,000. And what he wanted to convey to him is that people have to have an appreciation for what they have in front of them. And the glass people didn't have a full appreciation. It was a very valuable ruby. But when he went to people who had an appreciation, they were offering him substantial money for because of its value. And that's what the father, that's what God wanted to convey. This man who you asked for a cup of water, and he told him, you learned for 25 years. He was like the glass dealers there. He had no appreciation. Otherwise, he would have said, it's my honor, my privilege to give you a cup of water. And that's how he calmed the sun down. This medrash is said on Imbechu Kosai our center, because people have to become permeated with Torah. It doesn't say, the Taz says, that the bracha that we make, la'asok b'divrei sora, we don't say lilmo Torah, that the bracha is just a bracha on learning Torah, it's la'asok, that we have to be enveloped and we have to be uplifted and we have to be able to fully appreciate the gift that our Kurdish Baruch gave us in having the Torah. And that's why there's a famous kasha. We know that chukim, there's mishpatim, there's chukim. Um, a chuk is something without reason, like paraduma. But it's also Basar B'cholom, it's also Shabbos. If you ask somebody, um, what's so bad if you have wool and linen in one garment, you know? And it's so severe that the Arizal says if somebody puts on a jacket or a coat that has Shabbos in it, his tefillahs are locked out of Shamayim for 40 days. No Terutza. Uh, I didn't know. I, I thought this. I meant that. It doesn't count. It's like if a person took poison in a cup, God forbid, law later, law later. If somebody put poison in, after he's dead, he can say, I didn't know that there was poison in there. I, how, how? Yeah, but you're dead now because the fact is that there was poison in there. Whether you're guilty of suicide or someone else killed you, that's a separate story. But the fact that poison was in there for whatever the reason, you died, never. So says the Arizal when it comes to Shabbos, because the original thing that brought Misa to this world was Cain and Hevel, the first one to be killed, was Hevel by Cain. And the carbon of Hevel was wool. And the vegetables that he brought were all of flax, linen. So the shoyrish of this whole shotness is, comes from Cain and Hevel, and he goes into a long discussion about it. But for our purposes, we don't understand why it should be forbidden as a myth, and it's called a chok. The same thing with Gosar Bacholov and other, a few other things. 
So why should the Torah be called Chok in the Chuposai Telechu? It's a mitzvah like all the other mitzvahs. Not Chukim. We're learning Torah. That's a mitzvah of Talmud Torah, of Libra Torah. Why is it called Imbechukosai, Chok? So the answer that is suggested by the Meforsha is because when a person does a mitzvah, he's Makayimit, and he's doing a Nachas Ruach, he takes the Tefillin, he takes the Lulav, the Esrit, and he's elevating himself by doing the mitzvah. He's enriching every fiber of his ruchniyazah. But the process of transformation happens only with Torah. That means when you learn Torah, you're makayim, the mitzvah, and yes, and you're doing a nachasura for Kodesh Baruch Hu and everything else. But there is one extra item one extra item that doesn't happen with the mitzvahs in terms of the level of transformation. And that's why it's called a chok. And that's the reason that it, the Taz says we say la'asok b'divrei sora, not lilmotor in the brach we make every day. Because la'asok means to envelop oneself, to schwitz, to take a toysvus, and to delve into it with such zest, with such zeal, with such thirst that we become totally immersed and we are sweating as we go through the process because we're living through it in the thinking process and everything. And as we're doing that, we're becoming transformed. And that's why it's called the hope because we don't understand the transformation of what's happening. And just like other chukim, we don't have a full explanation or a full understanding. So that's why it is called a chok. Now, At the end of the Sedra, we have, after the discussion of Yoivol and about lands that they go back to the original owners, there is a parsha of Erechen. Erechen means a person says, Erechen, that my value, my personal value, no person has value because he can be sold as an evit to do work. He has a value as a worker. He has a value as a professional. Uh, a brain surgeon may have one value, and a person who's a clerk, which doesn't mean that they're any less honorable. They're doing an honest, sincere method of a livelihood, but they don't have the 15 years of training, so their value one would command a $500,000 salary, and one would command a $75,000 salary in terms of what it is. So, that parsha means, Erkei that a person evaluates his value and he gives it to the Besamekdash. Now, 
It's right after the Tochacha. We all know that in this week's Sedra, we're going to be reading the Tochacha, and the Balshemtiv, who was the Balkoira in his shul, that they had the minig. We our minig is that the Balkoira himself takes the aliyah, because people are afraid that when the Balkoira, when you get an aliyah, they're reading into you what's being laid. And since the Tocha are all seemingly curses, no one wants it. But the Balshentav realized that there's a whole safer that goes through the Tocha one by one and shows you how the source, and in essence, it's a total bracha. It's not a curse. On the surface, it looks like a curse. But in essence, it's a bracha. So the Balshantif, when he lay, knew what the bracha was in each and every pasik. So they used to give for the tochacha the sickest person in the shul to come up and take that aliyah. Because when the Balshantif read the tochacha, the person at the end of the laning went back to his seat completely cured. Because he was reading what in his mind were the brachas into the person. And that person who was so sick left a cured human being. So, but the tocha on the surface, it looks pretty glim. You know, it was pretty gloomy, what's being said there. So one of the Mephorshim once said that the reason that Erechim follows the Tochacha is because a person's value is when he goes through the hardships of life, the Tochacha. That means when somebody came out of the Holocaust and they pointed to him and said, do you know that that man every day we were given a piece of bread and there were one bread, one piece, and there were people who were on the brink of death, and he took his piece of bread, had nothing else to eat, and gave it to the person that was almost dead. So that severe experience displayed what type of person, Erki, my value, the value of a person can be estimated and very clearly seen by what type of tochacha he lives through, whether it's a holocaust, whether it's personal tragedy, whatever, and how does he react to it? And how does he live through it? And how does he live after? There were people who threw up their hands after the holocaust, and we can't blame them because they went through horrors. But there were others who were able to pull themselves together and rise above it and rebuild families and had children, grandchildren, built businesses, remarried, all of these things. Because they were able to stretch themselves beyond comprehension and to go on with life. So when we, the Mepharshim say, when we get done reading through a Tochachah, and understanding what people are living through in a tochacha, 
we could then estimate their value. What type of people are these people? Who are they? And what, what did their life represent? And how did it show and showcase for the whole world and all their friends and their community the quality of the human being? And that's why it's directly and right after the Pasti Parsha of Tochachot. Now, in the Tochachot, towards the end, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, the Pasik says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, V'zacharti es berisi Yaakov, v'af es berisi Yitzchak, v'af es berisi Avraham Ezgar, v'ha'aretz Ezgar. So the Mephorshim asked, Rav Meir Shapiro used to say this for Rav Meir Shapiro was Nifter around 90 years ago, and he was the one who instituted the Dafyoimi. And obviously he's in the highest place in Ganeden, because in Shemayim they are able to com- com- compute something that to us is like mind-boggling. How do you compute that every person in the world who ever learned the Dafyoimi, since he instituted it, he gets schar. So he's still getting the schar and going up and up and up and up because of what he instituted. They did it completely l'shem shamayim. So therefore it came back to him to serve dividends, which are endless. And to us, the concept of endless is not conceivable as human beings. That it goes on and on and on. We can just make the statement. But that there's never an end. It's just constantly, constantly going. It's unbelievable. So, anyway, Rabbi Meir Shapiro said that we know that Avram Avinu was the backbone, the pillar of Chesed. And Yitzchak Avinu was the pillar of Avoida, of service. And Yaakov Avinu was the pillar of Torah. Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Oholah. And there were Tekufas a thousand years ago, 1500 years ago, that people didn't miss out in moments. They were able literally to count the minutes or to count the the hours if they lost something in learning of Torah. The quantity, the quality was unbelievable. Today we have the quantity. There was never in the world so much Torah learning like you have today. That means throughout Europe for a thousand years there were little villages, Rebbeim, or fathers taught the children. There were, but yeshivas with 6,000 people, they didn't have such, such a thing for after the Tanoim and the Amoroim, because we see Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 But in general, the quantity was not so much there, but the quality, because it was pure, and it was on target, and it was something that they were able to focus in on without the computers and without the internet and without the televisions and without the the fax machines and telephones and it was a world, a different world 
So the level of Torah was tremendous, but we can't say today that it's still at that same level 2,000 years or 500 years later. And the Pasuk begins with Yaakov, and the question is, why does it say, we always say, in order of from, then Yitzhak, then Yaakov. So why over here does it first mention Yaakov, and then Yitzhak, and then Avram? So the answer, said Rebbeir Shapiro, is that people, when they have the schus HaTorah, that is Megan, that shields, protects, uplifts, enriches Israel. But let's say it's not there, then we have to go then. We start first with Torah. Then we go to Yitzhak Tavoyda. Now, if you see in sermon, the Gemara says they used to prepare for an hour before they began davening, then they davened for an hour, then it took them an hour to come back down the ladder. They were so imbued and inspired and that, that they that to, to come down to the earth, so to speak, was another hour. So they spent nine hours a day. Shachas men They were able to have real avoidance, but today we cannot say as a Klai Yisrael that the quality of avoided today is equal to the avoida of 500 or 1,000 years ago. How they daven, and we're not talking about individuals. There are still individuals who spend a chunk of their day davening. But in general, we are happy if someone goes in and puts the telephone, the cell phone away uh, and is able to at least in the half hour that he's davening or 45 minutes to be able to focus and to realize he's speaking with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and that he should be able to pull himself together to do, you know, the avoidas, hayoim, the davening of the day properly. But the Torah and the Avoidah is not the same level. It's there, Baruch Hashem, and there's still a lot of davening, but it's not at the level of what it was. But then we come to Avram, and Avram is chesed, and all the Mephorchim say that if we don't have that level of Torah and that level of Avoidah of davening, but we do have the level of chesed. And if you look around the world, you will see that the unbelievable chesed, like I heard that this, this perm, there was over $20 million distributed in Borough Park. And what about Williamsburg? And what about Crown Heights? And what about all the other places? That millions, of, and let's say it's not an accurate figure, but if they said 20 million, it's not 20,000, you know. The, you know, maybe they're off by a few million or something, but it's... So you see the unbelievable level. And as I once heard Rabbi Franz say that he had to spend a Pesach in one of the hospitals in 
Manhattan and from wing to wing and floor to floor, all Jewish names, not affiliated, never, not from people, but Jewish people, giving the tzedakah to build these hospitals and build. And so is the case, uh, largely. And that, the Magid said, or Mayor Shapiro said, many said that in the beginning of Shemona Esri, we say, Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. At the end of the paragraph, we say, Melech Ozer, Moshiach, Magen Baruch HaTorashem, Magen Avram. So Rashi says and brings the Chazal, Yochel Yehechoismen Bekulam, you thought that since in the beginning it said Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, that it would end the bracha, Baruch Hashem, Mogin Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, say all three. But, but, but Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, and say all three, and that would be the way that God. So, Kodesh Baruch said to Avram Avinu, I'm not, I'm mentioning all three in the beginning, but I'm not finishing the bracha with all three. I'm finishing the bracha with only you. And they all said it's a remiss to the end of the doors before Mashiach. When I'm going to be choysen. I'm going to seal the generations with you, Avram Avinu, with chesed. That the Torah won't be equal to what it was and the avoid is not equal, but the Torah will be equal. Uh, the chesed will be as big as ever and with that I'm going to complete the generations before the Geula Shlema so we see that that's the reason why in the Teichacha that Kodesh Baruch Hu says first the Zacharti is Barisi Yaakov because first I'm going to look for the Schos of Torah and if it's not there I'll go to Yitzchak the schus of Avoida, and then I'll go to Yaakov, uh, to Avram, to the schus of Chesed, which I know will be there, and that's how I will be able to pull you out from the bad situation that you're in, because of the schus of Avram Avinu and the Chesed that Claude Yisrael does. Now, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky uh, used to, on this parsha, he would say, you see, the Chazal say, Rashi brings it, that it first says, then I'm going to give you all these brachas if you're listening, but ve'im lo if you're not going to listen to the Torah and to the mitzvah, then oz then there's going to be trouble because of Shemitah. So, the Gemara says, that when they came to Israel, they never kept Shemitah. They went for hundreds of years, they never kept the Shemitah. So Rabbi Yaakov asked, <coughs> excuse me, 
<laughs> we're talking if you keep the Torah mitzvahs. Then we say if you don't keep it, and we start talking about Shemitah. Where did this come in? How did this fall into the conversation? So the answer is that the whole reason that Shemitah was given was for to have a Yid have an opportunity to learn Torah. That means what was a person who was a farmer, day and night, sowing, watering, harvesting, doing everything at the field, his whole day, his whole week, his whole month, his whole life. When did he learn? So that's one of the reasons that there's a Shabbos. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu went to Paro and said, listen, let me speak out economics to you. Not religion, not re- re- religious reasons. But you take any person, you work them seven days a week, it's going to come a point that they're going to drop from all the work. So you're going to lose your slaves. You're going to lose your free labor. So he said, you know, it makes sense. And Moshe Rabbein said, give them off Shabbos. Power didn't make a difference if he was giving off a Friday or a Tuesday uh, to recoup and to rejuvenate themselves, to be able to carry the load the way they wanted. So, and it says in Medrash that Moshe Rabbeinu provided them with Megillos and with different things that they used to learn Shabbos. So Shabbos, and it says in Sfarim, that the, one of the reasons for Shabbos is that a Yid should have a day of pure ruchnias, to be able to daven, to learn, to, to, and that's it. Now, these Yidin didn't take advantage of Shemitah and learn. And that's what brought about this Tokachah. It's not like we suddenly, in the middle of a discussion about keeping mitzvahs and here or not keeping it, we started talking about Shemitah. The reason that they were in this tochacha was because of the fact that they didn't dedicate their hours of that. They were people that were busy farmers. Now, if you're not a farmer and they're Shemitah, what are you supposed to do? It simply gave them a chance to sit down and learn Chumash, to sit down and learn Gemara, to have a year of beautiful learning and to be able to enrich themselves and uplift themselves and upgrade themselves uh, for for the spirituality that their neshamas were very thirsty for. So, so there was a direct connection because we have to realize that we have to stop and think of all the time in the week that's what we're guilty for and there's when a person's working is what Pam always used to say person is supposed to go and support his family and work if he's working eight hours nine hours a day he gets credit that he wasn't Mavatl Torah, and he gets credit for being Makayim, what he had to do during that time. There's no mark against him. And it's a mitzvah because he's supporting his family. But when a person comes home and he relaxes for a half an hour and has dinner, at that point, what does he do? Does he open up a safer or go to a Chavrus and for two hours? 
or does he open up a video or a television? Or the, that's the problem. Not the time that he's working. So we should be able to be zoicha to have the worthiness and the validation of the time that we spend outside the parameter, which is things that are not only acceptable, that we should, our davening, our eating, our sleeping, uh, our working, everything that we do in a day, to be able to stretch that umbrella to encompass the time that really we should be doing a lot more good with than we actually do. And so many of us do do, not in a negative way, in a positive way that there are so many who do, that it should be a motivator and a pace setter for the entire community, the entire family. And that's why Rebbeim used to, Ramosha fights him when a bracha would come up to him and ask him for a bracha from, to be matzliach. In his learning, Ramosha would say to him, I'm giving you a bracha, but realize that the bracha is a nice thing, but if you don't sit down and you don't open the Gemara and you don't open the Chumash, it's a, it's a bracha like that's fleeting in the air. It's like just sailing along because it's not being applied to where it belongs. A good enough.